Hi, my name's Maeve Doyle, and you're listening to A Private View. On today's show, I have Miami-based Dan Alva, an artist who's famous for reinventing the art historical canon for the contemporary audience. Dan fuses iconic artworks with bold geometric designs. He utilizes traditional oil painting methods to create very vibrant and modern work, speaking to the way we see fragments of things in today's age. He has over 15 years' experience in the advertising industry, and his works are strikingly bold and dynamic. If you've seen them once, you won't forget them. The inspiration comes from color and shape and form, form from existing images or imagined images. Dan strives to remix masters while adhering to the original style and craftsmanship practiced by the old masters themselves. Dan Alva, welcome to A Private View. Oh man, that was a that was a great intro. My mother would be proud. <laughs> That's what we aim to do. We aim to make mothers proud of their sons. So if I were to ask you who you are and what you do, how would you answer the question? The most simplest questions are like the most difficult ones sometimes, huh? Um, but um, I mean, as simple as that is, I'm I'm a father. I'm an artist. Uh, I'm an advertising creative. I'm a Floridian, and uh, hopefully, you're not a good person. Now. I really find it interesting that you worked in advertising, considering the number of blue chip artists who use advertising as a landscape they're inspired by. People like Richard Prince or Russell Young or, uh, well, there's numerous artists who use advertising to be the body of their work. But you're actually switching over. Is that correct? It's a little bit of um, hand in hand as far as how they come together. Um and I can get into as far as how it all started, but but advertising has basically been my first and only real job. Um, it was something that I fell in love with from the start, and it really opened up um, my eyes, especially for the studio practice when it comes to creating paintings and sculptures and things of that nature, and especially when it comes to selling myself and presenting work. There's a lot of simulations between one another, and yeah, I do find it interesting how there's so many artists that have played with the space and have collaborated as well. I mean, everyone from Dali to, as you mentioned, Warhol. Yeah, the recent Super Bowl Burger King thing was astonishing to me. Just in case anyone didn't see it, this was during the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and the in the commercial in between whatever they call in between football things breaks are was yeah. Warhol <laughs> eating a Whopper, and it was unbelievable. And it was maybe 50 years old? Who knows? But yeah, tell the story, because I read something about you, Burger King, and burning stories. See, that's how it all starts to connect, right? Um, so Andy Warhol, as we all know, did these like experimental films, and they were really kind of performance art more than anything, right? And it was just simply, and I read a lot of like kind of interviews and um, articles about how his assistants would grab him just whoppers after whoppers just to get the right one and get the right shot. And they would have, they would shoot it over and over just to do it right, which is basically a full on production. Um, but it was a simple performance piece that he did back then. Um, and it was just on a mechanic brand that it was the whopper. And it was simply him in this white space eating the sandwich. And um, that was, that was a commercial. Um, I don't even think there was any editing. It was basically from start to finish as is. And they repurposed this amazing piece of art history that Warhol did in a commercial for the Super Bowl, which was a big deal. And, and Burger King is one of those brands that really likes to push culture and um, push the kind of level of thinking when it comes to blending the arts and advertising together. 
ironically enough, now I work for uh, Popeyes. I have Popeyes as a client, so um, it's still under the same uh, company umbrella, and um, we're, we're doing we're trying to do just the same kind of level of work as well. Did you do a project for Burger King? I did. I did a lot of work. Um, I actually shot probably over 50 commercials uh, when it came to their food. I mean, food is their bread and butter, right? As far as just selling product and, you know, doing a food, your standard food commercial for TV. Um, So I actually have a lot of experience uh, on set doing food design and build and um, what they call tabletop shooting. So um, I found a lot of passion and love for that. And, uh, and that was kind of the bread and butter for, for a lot of the work. And then also more of kind of conceptual projects. There was this project called Burning Stores um, and how that came about was Burger King is all about frame, frame grilling. Uh, they cook their burgers on a flame instead of a flat top like some other establishments. So ironically enough, on Flickr and on Google, we found images of actual Burger Kings that were being burnt down. And there were these incredible images across the country. And you would see firefighters trying to like take out the flames and all these kind of different shots. And it's kind of um, common that some Burger Kings do burn down. Again, they have so many across the country. It's just an odds game. But we were able to get the rights for three of the photos um, that random photographers took. I saw them, but I didn't know this story. I saw the photos and it didn't make sense to me until you told me this. That's wild. Their, their motto is uh, flame grilling since 1954. So we really kind of embraced the flame grilling and showed it to this other extreme of basically showing the restaurants being engulfed in flames. But the advertising community absolutely ate it up. Um, I think it showed how print advertising is still very much alive compared to the digital era. And, uh, and it did really well at the award shows. I mean, it, it really it was a huge bump for my portfolio. So it's an amazing piece. It's probably one of my favorites too. Mine too. Do you have it framed in your house? Because I want to get one of those. That was amazing. <laughs> No, you know what? I do have the high res images. It's probably worth a big print. I bet. Uh, I feel like that's kind of like, you know what? Like when, every time I go to Basel and I see these monster prints, I mean, it's just it's just the feeling of printing a photograph, you know, the size of your hand or the size of a wall. It's just it's so much more engulfing and impactful. Um, and that's one of those photos that I can see probably doing well at an art show. Yeah, I agree. I, I want one already. Uh, so interesting that you worked with, with advertising because obviously that's, where Warhol started. He wanted making shoes for fashion magazines or just doing whatever he could. And to me, what it means is it's someone who can work within parameters, understand guidelines, and generally knows what the public want. Uh, and, and I think you achieve that in the same way. Yeah, it's got a bit of some culture, right? Um, at the agency I work for now, it's called Gut. And it's an independent agency. We start to open up shops across the country. And we really do believe in that. We believe in trusting our gods. We believe in big ideas. We believe in tapping into culture. Um, we have an entire kind of social and content department that it's basically just a bunch of young, talented kids that are looking at the internet all day and seeing what's trending, what's not. How can we engulf and embrace one of our brands with something that's happening on Twitter? Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a growing beast. It's nonstop. And every day is something new. So it's pretty exciting. Now, you also went to the Art Institute in Miami. And unless people have been asleep for the past two years, we know that a lot of the creatives moved to Miami during the pandemic. So I'm sure there's a lot of things about Miami as a city that that influenced your work. What was it like studying at the Institute of Art there? Yeah, no, um, I'll totally talk about Miami. Miami's blown up in the last couple of years, but um, studying there was a great experience. Um, I've never done well in school. I was a very much D student. 
Um, and my parents were always very worried about what the future was going to be because I would just do horrible grades. And it really was because I had no interest in, I had no interest in, you know, science and math and history. Um, I was a really bad student. And it's really more about laziness more than anything, I would admit it years later. Uh, so when I discovered photography and graphic design and, and this world of advertising, um, my parents were very reluctant as far as like, he's going to go to an art school. And, you know, it was kind of the old school mentality, right? I grew up in a family that everybody worked either in aviation or worked in the stock market. And um, it was a kind of a different approach as far as me jumping into an art school and trying to do this graphic design slash advertising thing, which at the time, no one even understood, right? I mean, this was a while back and they didn't think I was going to be able to make a living off it. True. And were you in Miami? Yeah, born and raised, um, born and raised Miamian. Um, some people say I still have a Miami accent, uh, if this is how we speak here. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but born and raised, I absolutely love this city. I bounced around a little bit. I spent some time in New York uh, working in advertising there as well. Some time in Amsterdam, some time in Colorado. Uh, but then I moved back and um, couldn't be happier. No, but what you said about parents who aren't artists, that can be hard on hard on someone who wants to be an artist because your parents worry about how you're going to make money, that it's going to be too difficult to life. But I did re read somewhere that you did have relatives who are artists. Yes, actually, um, my half-sister is an incredible artist in the Canary Islands. Um, I come from a Spanish background. Most of my family lives out of Madrid. And um, so a lot of the families there, and she is a, she actually used to have a school uh, and teach kids basically, you know, your standard kind of painting and drawing techniques. Um, and she's an amazing kind of landscape artist uh, that inspired me quite a bit. So my side, my father's side of the family does have a lot of artists. Uh, my brother as well has an incre incredible hand when it comes to drawing, but he is more of the Wall Street world. But nonetheless, I mean, it's uh, we do have a little bit of talent on our side and try to embrace it as much as possible. So what were the influences culturally uh, or artistically that shaped you? And I know we've talked about advertising and your family and Miami, but was there a, a moment where you're like, okay, now I realize that I'm going to be an artist and here's why. I'm, I'm not going to just work in advertising. Was there something that you saw at an art fair or gallery or read something? Or sometimes people go through transformative periods in their life with illness. So many things just make them stop in their tracks and say, I'm not doing a day job anymore. This is what I'm doing. This is who I am. No, it's, it's um, yeah, some people, there's so much different transitions, right? But um, I'm pretty persistent on when I want something. And I'm a true believer that if you want something, you can really just get it. Um, and there's just, you keep just chipping away at it and you find the road that leads you to it. Uh, and it's, I've seen it work in the past and you know, my wife probably hates me for it, but I, I'm, I'm very annoying when I want something. And when I fall in love with something, I'm like all in. And that's all I read about. That's all I think about. That's all I talk about. Um, and it gets kind of persistent and annoying. And so I basically bring it to life and manifest it, right? So, I mean, I feel like I've always had some kind of a creative kind of eye or at least interest. Um, earlier on, I would always work in the garage with my father and we would always be building something for the house. He was a very hands-on hands kind of guy. And um, I think that led me into picking up an old film camera. There was no digital cameras back then. And, uh, and if I fell in love with the dark room process and what it was to create something. Um, and then sure enough, in school, uh, at the first university I went to, uh, they had photography. And that was my absolute favorite class because it didn't involve the real school. It involved the creative process of something, right? So that, I think, opened up my eyes to 
uh, photography opened up my eyes to Photoshop, which led me into graphic design, which that's when I transitioned over to the art school. Um, and I took graphic design full blown. I was really interested in it, um, like every other basically creative, dabbled in graffiti, of course, because I think graphic design and graffiti go hand in hand with a lot of the process. Um, and that's where I actually discovered advertising and that it was a profession that I didn't have to wear a suit and a tie for. I could basically in jeans and a t-shirt every single day. Um, and that had a lot to do with it, believe it or not. I'm just I believe like, it. Great field. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what a great field. I can be in t-shirt and jeans and actually get decently paid for this. Um, and I come up with ideas for brands and I make them basically more famous. Um, and that was the love for it. Um, and then of course, the more I dove into it, the more I found, you know, there was conceptual art and, you know, art kind of way of thinking um, in the advertising world. It's not just business cards and logos and brochures. Um, there's TV commercials, there's short films, there is conceptual ways to sell a product that um, makes people stop in their tracks and, you know, makes them think differently about a product. And that really brought some interest to me. Um, so it's, you know, I think it just evolved. I never thought I was an artist or not, I still don't even really consider myself as an artist. I consider myself as a creative just because I kind of touch so many different mediums. Um, so it's just been, I think, a forever kind of thing that I've been doing. Why do you think they have the distinction between, I mean, I agree with you. And I had a, a, a meeting with an artist earlier today who wanted to take over unused billboards and put his artwork there. So this this conversation between art and advertising is like art and fashion and, and every visual vocabulary and visual expression comes from the same place, but they're viewed differently. The pay towards them is different. Is it, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, kind of like it comes down to communication. Um, it's a form of communication. Art is a form of communication. So is advertising. Advertising is just selling you a product. Um, it can be done in a very descriptive way. It can be done um, in a very artistical, tasteful way. There's so many different ways and it's so subjective, of course, but just like the art world is as well. Um, and I see it as just like a big form of communication. It's, it's, it's when I paint, I'm communicating an image or I'm communicating a story or I'm communicating some kind of history that I'm bringing together. And, and same thing with a TV commercial. They're communicating either an ad or a story or something that's happening um, to at the very end sell a product. But nonetheless, you know, I'm also in the business of selling too. And um, I unfortunately cannot keep every single painting I make, which I would love to, but nice. some have to go. Um, some have to go. And I think I think that's the best way to describe it. So, Dan, you're selling us art history. Did you notice that people were forgetting about it? You're, you're repurposing and, and reintroducing art history. You said your family's from Madrid, and we know some of the best museums are in Madrid, the Prado, the Reina Sofia. I mean, that's just to name a couple. Where did this uh, need to bring back old masters come from? Yeah, no. So I really wasn't interested in super old masters until basically like 10 years ago when I kind of started dabbling. That's 10 years ago. I would say maybe less. But I started dabbling in this series of kind of these remixed uh, master paintings. And it really was from my time experiencing the museums. And I guess I've been to more museums that have just older work and less museums that have more modern work. Um, I have an absolute love and passion for modern work. I mean, contemporary work is my thing. I absolutely love it. The weirder, the better. Um, and it really kind of like stops me in my tracks and makes me really look at it. Some people can probably look at it and be like, what is this crap? But I actually uh, really embrace it and enjoy it. But I think the masters have so much history, have so much storytelling how these paintings came to life, 
Van Gogh's kind of background and how he did it, you know, um, his lovers and his affairs and all the story. I mean, it's like the old art history, the old um, art masters are like, it's almost like a big novel of sorts. It's like a dramatic gossip novel as far as everything they went through and how like Picasso himself as well. Right. And there was so much interest, um, interest there for me that um, I started diving in deeper and I started looking at the paintings and I started finding ways to kind of connect two paintings together that I feel had either some kind of symmetry or some kind of color hue that I really enjoyed and um, started chopping them up and putting them together in different ways that I just enjoyed really. Um, But it has opened up my eyes to art history so much more. And now I go above and beyond to really kind of read about the painting and really learn it um, because it would be nothing worse than someone were asking me about one of the paintings and I don't know every detail about it. So um, I'm starting to remaster the masters, I guess you would say. I love that you love the drama of the master, of the old masters yes. and how, I mean, Caravaggio <laughs> killed a man and then was on the run. And I mean, it's crazy how much drama happened. And sometimes that that kind of erratic energy, do you think maybe that it left itself on the canvas, that when they were painting, all that energy went into their work? Yeah, I, I would I would say for sure. I mean, Van Gogh alone had just so much story and everything he did. And every I mean, he was a troublemaker. Uh, Picasso was to an extent as well, right? I mean, these were kind of like bad boys in the art world. Um, and I love that. I mean, I'm a big fan of, you know, Damien Hirst nowadays. And not because I'm, I'm speaking to you, but I'm a huge um, Damien Hirst fan. I mean, he is, yeah. I, I'm just a fan of the bad boys of the art world. No, he um, likes drama I, too, I love, let's be honest. He's very he theatrical, drama. yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan of them. I, I kind of like, I see them as heroes and um, I love that they kind of do what they want to do and don't really budge and are successful for it. So kudos to them. So h- how do you work and, and what's your studio practice and, and how is it different than, let's say, your design practice and, and what, what craft do you use? What theories do you read? Um, what can't yeah. you live without? How do you compartmentalize <laughs> work that you do for a client and work that you do for art, let's say, capital A art. Yes, capital A, yep. <laughs> so the studio practice, um, something I really can't live without is Photoshop, believe it or not. Um, and a lot of people, without seeing the paintings live, a lot of people think I'm either printing them, um, basically off a printer, right? Um, because because of the finish. The finish is very polished, yeah. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and I'm a big sticker with that. And um, getting into that point, um, it's back to my persistent, hard-headed ways as far as to get it to that maximum almost kind of replica version of the original. Um, but what I do is, since I study graphic design, I really start in the computer first. I grab all these paintings that I am working on or do enjoy or whatever I'm going to do with them and bring them in and really start to move them around, cut them up. And it's basically like a digital collage of sorts. Um, I use kind of obviously different layers and different ways to bring them in, uh, change the color tones. And, and just Photoshop gives me endless abilities to kind of see the image and see the final output to life. Um, and I do that for commissions as well. When, when I'm working with a client doing commissions, I would I can easily provide 10 different versions of, of a painting, for example. And we narrow it down and we kind of, I can change the colors, I can change the hues. There's just so much I can do to the image before actually starting to invest my time into the painting itself, right? So um, it's one of those items that I can't live without. And, and that's basically the process. I start first on Photoshop, get the painting to basically a point that I really like it at, and um, and then use a couple of different projectors and or kind of stencils to kind of get the overall composite on a layout of the canvas and then get to work. So everything's touched by the hand of the artist? Everything from top to bottom, yeah. Do you work with studio assistants? 
I do have some help now that's helping me a little more. Um, at first I didn't and um, I just couldn't keep up uh, thankfully with the demand and or just time. Um, a lot of painters who paint in oil um, only produce a couple paintings a year and um, I refuse to do that really. Um, I think this year I'm at 20 something paintings and we're in June. So I've been, I think I did about 40 paintings last year. And they're oil. And they're all oil. Yeah. Um, wow. I think I did about 40 paintings last year. So I'm already halfway through and I'm about the same number. So, which tells me I got to speed it up a little bit um, to kind of, I want to over deliver wow. for this year and just trying to beat my numbers. But it's, um, I, I do a few at a time as well. I might have like four paintings ready to go and I'm jumping from one to one um, as far as just cutters and, and or technique that I'm doing. Yep. I have a question for you that's not part of what we talked about. If you were at a dinner party and there was a table full of artists and a table full of collectors, and you could only sit at one Ooh. table, which one would you go to? I'll stick with my fellow artist. I like this question. <laughs> Bit of a trick <laughs> question, but um, <laughs> listen, I, 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 um, I'm still a businessman at heart. Um, obviously, I love art, and we are still in the business of selling art. And um, like I mentioned, I can't, I don't have space with all my paintings. I have to let them go, but um, I can't sell out either. And I think there's something true as far as staying true to who you are. And I probably will get more out of the table with the artist um, as far as tips and tricks and just experience and history and things that they've dealt with. But I would caveat, I wouldn't mind sitting with the collectors and then doing after party drinks with the artists. <laughs> that would be a better time. <laughs> you just negotiated for both. Uh, yeah, I just yeah, negotiated well done. for both. But I guarantee you the after party with the artists would be great. <laughs> what is art for? Um, I mean, I'll go back to the communication example, but art is for enjoyment. Um, I do believe it doesn't matter the painting. I like to wake up in my own house and see a work that I enjoy every single day. Um, I think there should be some visual stimulations. I think you should make you feel something. I think that, uh, you know, I understand people buy work as a kind of a business and collector kind of hobby, but um, for the ones that do hang it on walls and do have to interact with every day in, day out, um, it should bring you, it should bring, make you feel something. Um, not always enjoyment, but it should make you feel something. And I think that's kind of back to the communication aspect of, of what art should do. When I was reading about your work, I, I don't even know if I can say things like this, it, it, but what I was reading about it, it was people were saying things like mafia homes and huge gold frames. And uh, yeah. it, what's that about? Is that a love of cinema or? So I, I, that's interesting. I do like that topic. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of kind of the old school kind of mafia films. Obviously, Goodfellas is an absolute classic. I know. Poor um, Ray Liotta. Yes. Rest in peace. Rest in um, peace. Originally, when I started this series, these paintings felt, you know, there is a reproduction of sorts of old masters, right? And usually whom were to own these kind of paintings are kind of the kind of big mafioso type characters. At least that's the way I envision them, right? In big gold, gaudy frames. Uh, the image is kind of so Renaissance-like. Um, and, you know, it's, it's rare for a super contemporary kind of your typical Miami white beach house to own one of my paintings because I just feel like it probably wouldn't work in their decor, uh, depending on the painting, at least the ones I originally started with. So all the paintings um, are named after either mafia or like street slang. Um, I just love kind of the verbiage and how they have their own language um, per se. Yeah, subcultures. Uh, and I think that, 
subculture exactly and it really intrigued me and i have a i have this like i went crazy on the internet trying to find like a bible or at least like a list of all the terms that the mafia would use and it's all code all code words right that they would use between themselves uh, so nobody really knew what they were talking about and um so every painting is titled after a saying um from this list basically and that's the way i'm naming them all what are the other titles i want to hear some of them i mean i feel like it's such a creative way to kind of speak between themselves um like you know a couple of the paintings that are that I have are anywhere from, you know, Thickest Thieves, that which is, you know, commonly used, or Off the Record, which of course is, you know, goods being sold basically off the truck, um, or Five Finger Discount, which of course is a stolen product because you grab it with your hand. Um, sleeping with the fishes is something that's been used in the past, right? And it's basically, um, I'm sure someone doing a, doing a job and, and having the unfortunate soul that goes down to the bottom of the ocean and they're sleeping with the fishes. Um, and then some things like, you know, fortune favors the brave or make it till you fake it. I mean, I'm kind of blending a few things there, but it's kind of, um, they're all terms that the mafia has used, um, that I just love to bring back to the painting. So I feel like amazing. it has a bit more of a connection than me just calling it untitled. I would hate to call any painting untitled. I it love deserves that. A title. So if you could live with any work by another artist, who would you pick? Well, I mean, obviously, I love Hearst. We've hit that. And, you know, there's just an incredible amount of pieces that he's done. Um, I don't even know which one of them all I like the most. I mean, it's just I go to the website every so often just to look at them. But um, I'm a big Midol fan as well, just because it has a little bit of a Spanish connection. Um, we used to do summers in Mallorca when I was really younger all the time. And Midol's studio was out there. Um, he's from there. And, you know, it's a, it's an interesting aesthetic. I just, I love artists that have that kind of look. It's so recognizable when you see it, you know, it's them. Um, I'm still on a hunt for a little middle piece. My wife thinks I'm insane because I know it's going to be quite uh, pricey, but, um, or at the very least we'll deal with a print or a small drawing. Right. But um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's artists like that, that I have a lot of love for. And Mido would definitely be one of those ones that does really stand out to me. Dan Alva, we're coming to the end of this interview, but when can the public see your work in the future or now or in the States or in London? What's coming up for you? Uh, so, yes, no, um, ideally next year is going to be a big year for me. Um, I'm potentially prepping for a solo show in the beginning of the year in New York. Um, I've had one in the past, so this would be the second one I do in New York City. And hopefully um, towards the end of the year, we do something with Maddox, London, uh, it's going to be my first solo show in Europe and actually the first time I show anything in Europe, actually, now to come to think about it. So it's going to be a big deal. I have family in London. I have family in Madrid. So there's a little bit of home there, which is great. And um, it's going to be a big year to gear up to. Um, ideally, I would love to, you know, bring 25, 30 works that um, really, you know, wow the public and, and, uh, and impress me and myself, I guess you could say. I, I've so enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you for listening to A Private View. We'll be back next week. You've been listening to Maeve Doyle's Private View. I am an art critic and artistic director at Maddox Gallery. This podcast is produced by Will Fitzpatrick at Soho Radio. The music is by Cora Shidhami. Thank you for listening.